I'm tired of seeing red lighting in bars in films and TV. That's a little bit cliche these days. Not have the bartender have a towel over his shoulder. That's in every movie and TV show. Don't have your waitress chewing gum. Don't have the busboy necessarily be Hispanic. Bannon? Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant? Bar. Club. Day. Night. Hola, que tal, se va, konnichiwa, shalom, what's going on? This is Restaurant Fiction, the podcast that reviews every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as talk about the filmmaking process. We've waited a few years to cover this Italian fictional restaurant, waiting for the right moment. Well, now is the time. You see, Paradise is a ma and pa restaurant from the movie The Big Night. I mean, if you've seen this movie, you'll notice that the entire flick is about this restaurant. And why is it important? Besides the fact that there would be no big night without Paradise, it's about two brothers doing whatever they can to keep their baby, their restaurant, alive. Honestly, we're in this pandemic time when many ma and pa restaurant owners are doing whatever they can to keep their restaurants alive. The restaurant business is a difficult motherfucker to crack when the economy is good, and it's even more challenging when it's not. Big Night might be all too real for some. To others, it could be the Epicurean food fantasy they need in their lives right now. Whatever the reason, we're breaking paradise down with our dear friend, director and writer, Kevin Hamadani. Why is his name important? He's a regular at the Austin Film Festival where he has and continues to wow the world with his hilarious films like ZMD, Zombies of Mass Destruction, and Junk. But the main reason, excuse me, the main reason of why he's significant to restaurant fiction is because he knows Paradise and Big Night more than anyone's business, including my own. Which, by the way, I am your host, Monis Rose. So without any further ado, here's our review of Paradise from Big Night and our conversation with Kevin. Go. Without any further ado, guys, welcome to Restaurant Fiction. We usually review a modern-day restaurant, but we actually went into our archives, and we pulled out one of our first-ever reviews, and it was on an Italian restaurant. Now, before we get and talk to you about this Italian restaurant, we brought along our good friend, Kevin Hamadani, because he is also an aficionado about this restaurant. He knows a thing or two about Italian cuisine in Belmar, New Jersey. Yes, off exit 68, there is a place called Paradise. Let me preface this Italian restaurant. This is not your spaghetti and meatballs, chicken parmesan, mambo Italian restaurant. Those you can get anywhere, especially in Jersey, especially off the shore in Jersey. I mean, you can get this in, uh, excuse my language, bumfuck anywhere practically. 
no, this is not that. This is true Italian. This is uh, from the Abruzzo region. We're talking, you know, homemade everything. Rustic breads. The olive oils are flown in. Everything about it is bespoke. When this review happened, it wasn't just a regular sit down, oh, you're going to order an entree, maybe um, a dessert. No, this was like a tasting menu, basically. Courses upon courses. First course is the wine. Oh yeah. When we get to it, we get a starter of carpaccio, then we got a caprese salad, where it's a nice marriage between the tomato and the basil. One's not overpowering the other. And then we get to the risottos. And as if you notice, the risottos are in the Italian flag. You got the red, the green, the uh, white. Obviously, you got your the seafood, you got the creamy truffle, and then you got your peas. Something that you don't really even see today which is surprising. Really, it's only that. And it is hard to get a perfect risotto. I think even Seinfeld had a joke once, a whole episode about risotto. I think George was on a date. Then you get your minestrone, but then here's the coup de gras. And the coup de gras actually happens before the entree. You think it is the entree, it's not. It's called a timpano, or to some, a timbalo. And it is a big, huge starch. Basically, it is a baked, gigantic, pasta. And what's inside this big baked pasta? Well, you got your meatballs, you got mozzarella, you got tomato, hard-boiled eggs, hand-rolled garganelli. Personally, uh, I would, I have yet to see a timpano on an American Italian restaurant menu. It is really like the coup de gras, and by that time, I really wanted to fall asleep at the table. But no, the food just keeps on coming out. Everything beyond this point is going to be outstanding, but uh, do you have room in your stomach? Do you have room? That is the question. Are you going to make room? Well, you know, this is America, so we can always make room for more. And more, I mean vegetables. I mean, you got a suckling pig and you got trout rather than bronzino. And finally, dessert's nothing special except classic. You got cigarettes, amaro, and a little espresso and chocolate. It's usually not polite to fall asleep at the table, but in this case, I think that's the right thing. So Kevin, what'd you think of that review? What'd you think of Paradise, the big night? It made me very hungry. What are you eating at Paradise? What do you call it? The uh, timpano. Oh, yeah. I've always wanted to have it. And the risotto. I'll start with the risotto. Um, yeah, that's what I'm having. This movie has resonated with you uh, for some time. I was maybe, when it came out, I don't know, 12, 13, I think it was on HBO, and my mom was watching it, and we just sat there and watched it together. You know, it was important for me for a number of reasons. It was one of the first films I saw where it was just about people doing simple things and running a restaurant and dealing with everyday problems, but it was also about immigrants and I'm not Italian, but my family is Iranian immigrant. I think I would watch it almost every weekend on HBO because they kept showing it over and over again. It just sort of grew on me. And Well, it's funny. I, I left out this very key moment. So my dad is an Iranian immigrant who opened up a restaurant. So I grew up in the restaurant business. So I'm sure watching Big Night as a kid resonated in all sorts of ways, including you know all the little details these owners go through each and every day to maintain the restaurant business and the struggles and the customers and the complaints. And, and of course, when I was of age, he made me be a busboy. When I got a little older in high school, I was a waiter. 
So uh, that was sort of the life I grew up in. And, and is it one of those movies that you always notice something different? I noticed in performances, the nuances, mainly um, Monk. Oh, Monk. Tony Shalhoub, one of the great character actors of his generation, probably my favorite Tony Shalhoub performance. And he is so endearing and so lovely and so good. And it, he's so funny. And Ian Holm is amazing in it. I don't think nowadays you could cast Ian Holm, British actor, as an Italian, nor could you cast Tony Shalhoub, or an Armenian, as an Italian. For good reasons, we now try to cast appropriately. But man, I'm kind of grateful it wasn't so PC back then because I don't think anyone could have played those roles better than Shalhoub and uh, Ian Holm. Did Big Night get the restaurant right? It feels very real to me. From my experience growing up, it's funny. My dad's like a little Iranian dude with a thick accent, but he decided to open up an all-American diner <laughs> in small town Edmonds, Washington. So to this day, I have no idea why, but he did, and it was the best breakfast in town. And he, he was sort of like a, you know, famous around town. It's a small town, but it, we'd go to grocery stores anywhere else. Everyone said, "Hey Al, hey Al, hey Al." Uh, you know, he's just that's where you went for breakfast in, in that town. And great dinners, too. And a lot of old people in that neighborhood. So dinner would be at 5 p.m., packed house, a bunch of these uh, retired people in Edmonds eating my dad's steak. What does the restaurant say about the characters? Basically, these immigrants, Italian immigrants, and they're very traditional, especially Tony Shalhoub. He doesn't want to bend to any of the Western ways, I think the, a great scene is the beginning when they have these, you know, very American customers who order risotto and the woman wants a side of spaghetti. And this really offends Primo because starch on starch, that's not how you're supposed to eat it. That sort of proud traditional thinking is reflected in the food they serve, the lack of, you know, superficiality in the design of the restaurant. It's very traditional. And it's funny because they juxtapose that with a westernized Italian restaurant across the street run by Ian Holm, who's a you know basically a sellout just doing this to make money. His restaurant is like the opposite. A lot of colors, a lot of red lights and singing and loud music. And again, the main restaurant, Paradise, is quiet and simple. Big Night is about what you have stated, uh, these two brothers who are basically putting everything they have into this lifeblood. It is a risk. Uh, what... What's your biggest risk you ever took? I guess probably making my second movie was the biggest risk because it was, I had a bit of minor success in my first movie, so I sort of had opportunities to do something next. Not whatever I wanted, but I had some opportunities. And I picked to do something very personal and unusual and not really commercial. And so I guess that would probably be the biggest risk I've ever taken it was like a meta film that played with reality. Was it real or fake? People playing themselves. It was just sort of something you don't see too often. It paid off in that I'm proud of the work. But I guess the first movie I made was the movie that Secondo would have made for the masses. And that worked out well. The second movie would have been what Primo would have made, which is I don't care what the audience wants. This is what I want to make. And like the restaurant going out of business because of that mentality in Big Night, you could sort of say my career went out of business for a little bit because I took that route. But it's all fine now. It's been a learning experience and things have changed. Risks. Sometimes it's worth it. Well, this first movie, Zombies of Mass Destruction. Did you ever wonder what humans taste like? 
I did take a cannibal class in college, believe it or not. Don't know why I took it. Oh, I know why I took it. A teacher friend of mine, and it was watching a lot of films. So I thought it'd be fun, but it was disturbing. And I believe I remember leaving that class. That flesh tastes like chicken. Crafting your own characters, or even when you, as a fan, looking at characters in the film or television, why is breaking bread or having a drink uh, so important? You know, sex, food, there are a few elements that are just any culture, any situation... Anybody in any corner of the world can identify with having an important moment in their life, you know, whether it's falling in love on a date or breaking up with someone at a restaurant. That location, that setting is ripe for any type of character drama. And plus, actors are better when they're eating. Really? That's why, who is it? Is it George Clooney or someone? Brad Pitt. Is it Brad Pitt? Yeah, he always wants to eat because... Your body is instinctively being honest in that moment. Part of acting is not looking like you're acting, not looking like you're uncomfortable, not looking like you're thinking. And so when you watch De Niro and Godfather Part Two eating spaghetti, talking about taking out Fenucci in that big scene, it's very memorable because he's very realistic in that scene. You know, he's De, De Niro, he's always realistic, but the fact he's eating spaghetti and just makes it a lot more grounded. That's my opinion. I think just actors eating makes everything seem real. How can a director enhance the role of a writer? But let's assume the director is there with the writer in developing, like it is with what I was saying about the DP and the production designer. I should have a clear idea of what this film should feel like, the tone. Uh, the same way you, you work with a DP, I would say. Yeah. And vice versa, how does the writer enhance the role? A writer is the one who knows about human beings more than the director in most cases, you know? That's what makes a writer so special, is they somehow are able to understand motivations and neuroses of human beings, so they're able to, in my experience, tune me into sometimes why a character does certain things, and that helps me translate that to the actor. I'm the head of studio. I'm looking through all our IPs and all of that, and I say, I want to remake Big Night. I want Kevin to direct it. Well, it would be two Iranian immigrants, first of all. I love that Big Night is a period film. I think it's the 60s or 50s or 50s. I would modernize it because either make it the 80s. This is just my own sensibility. I wouldn't be political, but if it's the 80s, then in the background you have sort of the Iran-Contra hostages. And you don't even have to mention it, but just the fact that it's the 80s and having this immigrants there, you can sort of play with some tension subtextually regarding the cultural a- aspects of what's going on. I'm not quite sure why Big Night's in the 50s and 60s. Aesthetically, it's wonderful. Or I'd make it now modern where things are not so you know, stable relations with Middle Eastern folk. That way you can add some drama in it. The stakes are higher for your characters, you know, because Big Night's about them trying to Americanize themselves and one of them can't do it, one of them wants to do it, one of them's dating an American woman played by Minnie Driver, the other one just hangs out with the Italian people in the neighborhoods, doesn't want to infuse himself in the American culture, so that would be fun to play with Iranians in today's America.
What advice would you give a smart, driven, emerging writer and or director? I would say you're going to hear a lot, especially if you're in L.A., oh, this is in right now, this isn't in, don't write this because no one's buying this right now. All that stuff, ignore, just write, do what you want. That stuff changes. These people, no one knows anything. No one, these people who claim to know what's in the zeitgeist are full of shit. Only people that know who are, what's in the zeitgeist are artists. And they don't even know what is in the zeitgeist. They're just producing what becomes the zeitgeist on accident. Like, get out. You know, I had political genre horror stuff before get out. People weren't interested because it wasn't in. And then all it takes is one Jordan Peele to get it made. And then all of a sudden, oh, actually it isn't. Just ignore what is in, what isn't in. Just make what you want to make. How do you keep consistently creative and not plateau? I watch, I put on Raging Bull lately. Just the opening title sequence with the music and the black and white. I'll just start crying. And I'm like, okay, okay. Okay, this is why I'm doing all this. All this noise in this industry, it means nothing when it comes down to what the heart of what we're trying to do here is. Hopefully before you die, able to create moments like that. Kevin, thank you. You know, honestly, for me, when I need inspiration, my go-to movies are Up, Big Fish, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. TV-wise, always The Wire. Any episode will do, but I personally prefer the pilot or the first episode of season four. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. It's where Snoop buys a nail gun. Guys, where can you watch Kevin's work? Zombies of Mass Destruction and Junk. They're both on Amazon Prime. This is the time to support art. This is the time to support Kevin's art. Why? Because art heals the soul. While a bowl of cacio pepe or bolognese from your local mom pa Italian joint is its perfect sidekick. For more reviews and interviews, check out our podcast page on iTunes or wherever you found this episode. Next, we will be reviewing the eyeball soup and monkey brains from the Guardian of Tradition dinner at Panko Palace. Until then, I'm Monis Rose. Keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior, restaurant, bar.